still my soul. Hey everybody, this is Phil. Welcome to our Bible study podcast. At the end of this study, please take the time to subscribe to the Glen Springs Church YouTube channel and check out our website. Also, if you live in the Gainesville, Florida area, we would love to have you visit us in person. For now, let's open up the Heavenly Library and may the words of the Holy Spirit sink deep into our hearts. Thanks for joining us. In every As you know, this past uh, weekend, we had our Teen Weekend Challenge, and it was just a wonderful day. We had 125 teens who gathered really from all over the state. I was just making a list this morning. We had teens here from Tallahassee, Trenton, Jennings, Lake Wells, Altamont Springs, Jacksonville, Lakeside, Middleburg, from the Valrico area, the Lutes, Florida uh, area, North Livingston Congregation, the University Congregation uh, down in Tampa, South Bumby in Orlando, Brandon, uh, just from all over. And it was a wonderful, wonderful day. You're looking here at what we do every year. We try to take a picture with all the kids wearing the shirts that represent the weekend. And we want everybody to know that when we get together, it's not just all fun and games, although there is a lot of fun and there are some games. We get together to study. And what makes this gathering so powerful is that you get to see the heart of all these teens who've gathered to study God's Word together, to dig into the Word. We literally spend three hours of the day in study, in digging into Scripture and sharing what we learn in Scripture. And then we spend some time in devotion and in singing. That's certainly one of the most uplifting parts of the time together is to get to sing together And it is definitely, definitely an uplifting day. This year we studied the theme of being survivors in Christ. And we talked about how in Christ and learning from his word, we can overcome temptation and deal with peer pressure. And we talked about how those are challenges that you're going to have throughout your life. These aren't just teen challenges. But if we can learn to handle these challenges when we're younger. It makes life so much better as we get older. One of the passages that we focused on this year was a passage that comes from uh, the Proverbs, Proverbs 4.26. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. And so what we like to focus upon is the idea to pray, to ponder, and then we can prevail in Christ and with our Lord. And it was a great day. We probably had, and I was just trying to count up on my own, more than 30 volunteers who were out there just yesterday participating. And I'm not even going to begin to try to name everybody because I can't. I, I don't, there were people who were coming and going. And I, when did you get here? Or when did they leave? Or what happened? It, it was just a team event. 
And I know that if I was to ask for a show of hands this morning of who all participated, that literally almost every hand would go up in this auditorium this morning, whether you were out there or whether you gave money or whether you just prayed or whether you sent children or whether you invited children to be a part of it. It's certainly a community endeavor of this body in Christ. And so I just want to say thank you. And if you want to have some fun, those of you that have participated in this through the years, get with me after services this morning and I'll show you the check-in list from 2012. And you're going to start going through this list through all these names of kids who were a part of our team weekend in 2012. And the first thing you're going to feel is old. Let me just go ahead and throw that out there to you. Because many of them are married. And many of them have children. <laughs> and so many of them are faithful servants of our Lord. Is there anything you want more for your children than for them to marry a godly spouse and to walk with the Lord? It doesn't matter where they live. If they're doing that, I'm happy as a parent, right? And that's the fun thing about looking at that list. So I just wanted to share that with you as we begin this morning, that this is a work that all of us get to participate in together. And yeah, there may be some hard work involved in it. It may be some challenges, but I tell you what, it is a worthwhile event. I had somebody reach out to me from another congregation. They said, hey, we're wanting to start our own teen weekend. Uh, we're wanting to do our own thing. Can we come over and hang out with you and be a part of your meetings and be in on your planning meetings and just learn from you? And I was like, you can come over all you want. We don't have any meetings. Everybody just knows what they do and they do it. We literally barely talk at all. Everybody just knows what they do and all of you do it so well. So God bless you. Thank you. Thank you so very much for all you do in service to these kids. And I just want you to know that your faith is moving mountains and hearts and families are being changed and are growing in the Lord. So God bless you for that. If you have the Heavenly Library with you, let me invite you to open up to the book of Matthew. And let's go to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 20 and to show honor and respect for our Lord and his word. If you don't mind, let's stand together as we read from God's word this morning. Matthew chapter 20, I'll begin reading in verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are it. And he said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and to sit at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. 
But Jesus called them to him and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You may be seated. How would you define greatness? I couldn't help but think when I was kind of putting this together, I, I know a lot of, a lot of, a lot of men who consider themselves to be great, and we even call them great. Uh, we even have a new acronym that we like to refer to for greatness, the GOAT, right? Greatest of all time. Who's the greatest of all time? Well, it's Tom Brady, right? As much as I hate to admit it, being a cowboy fan my whole life, you got to give Brady his due. The guy's 114, and he's still pretty good. Greatest of all time. Well, Muhammad Ali might take exception to that because the heavyweight champ who could float like a butterfly and sting like a bee considered himself the greatest of all time. And I wouldn't want to get in the ring with him, would you? Then there's men like Ricky Henderson who broke Lou Brock's stolen base record, and when he slid into second and set the record and the stadium cheered and the lights went off and everything got excited, he grabbed that base, held it high in the air, and he screamed at the top of his lungs, I'm the greatest of all time. And I guess it's stealing bases. He's a thief. He's good. Wayne Gretzky. Probably one of the best hockey players ever his nickname is The Great One. That's a pretty cool nickname. The Great One. Now, there's actually a history theory, and it's a theory of history, that really history is defined by great men. And the guy who proposed the theory said that you can look at any time period of history and there's going to be an individual or maybe two that really, really are responsible for the history of the day. They have hero heroic courage. They're extraordinary leadership. They are inspirers. They have great intellect. They have these natural abilities. And if you think about it, history has a lot of great men and women in it. Men and women who change history we call them great. Abraham Lincoln, a great president. Frederick Douglass, a great leader. Albert Einstein, a great mind. Martin Luther King, a great reformer and changer. You have those individuals we love to refer to as great. But then I'm also reminded of men in history who probably would fit into the great man theory because they shaped it and informed it. who in a very braggadocious way, and they didn't hide from it, would refer to themselves as great, such as Herod the Great. And he was great. He built great wealth. He built great palaces. He built great relationships with politicians. He built great fame. 
but he also was responsible for putting to death the one who truly was the greatest of all time. We're, we're in a series that we've actually titled Equipping the Saints for the Work of Ministry, and we get this from the book of Ephesians, and Ephesians is our study this year, and we are looking at the church of Ephesians, and we want to learn what Paul taught that church, and we know in many ways our family in Christ is a lot like the church at Ephesus in so many ways. And what you find, though, in Ephesians 4, verse 11, is that the leaders of the family in Christ are to equip saints and not just give saints intellectual understanding and not just give saints the ability to maybe handle day-to-day -day life, but is to equip saints for a purpose. And that purpose is the work of ministry. And what's amazing about many of the epistles, regardless of the challenge that would be coming forth for Christians, every single one of the epistles doesn't begin with the challenge. Even First Peter, who's going to speak to Christians about being greatly persecuted by those in that day who would hate Christianity and many of them would die for their faith in the Lord. But Peter doesn't begin with the persecution. He begins with the hearts of men. And so he seeks to form and to shape hearts in Christ. And so as it is, if we're going to talk about ministry, our focus isn't necessarily on all the nuts and bolts that come with the idea of minister here, minister there in so many ways, and we will get into those, but we must begin where the Lord always began. And that's in the heart of the one seeking to fulfill the Lord's will. We looked at humility in our first lesson, that all ministry must begin with humility. And then we looked at compassion. Today, I'd like for us to consider greatness. You know what's interesting when you go back and you listen to our Lord's exchange with the sons of Zebedee and even the other apostles, <laughs> the Lord doesn't chastise them for wanting to be great. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> there would be a part of me that I would have to say if it was me, and obviously it's better that it's not me when you're talking about who the Lord is and what he's doing. But if it was me, I would have said, you think you're great? You think you're great? I, I want you to notice the way the conversation actually begins. It begins with their mother. Now, I don't know who was putting who up to this, all right? But there's sometimes I really don't want my mother defending me, all right? I don't need mom going up and mom having... I, so I don't know if it was James and John saying, hey, mom, we need some help. Would you really work Jesus over for us? Or if it was Salome herself who's going, all right, fellas, let's go. It's time for you to get your... I don't know how it worked, but it had to be a little embarrassing. But Jesus doesn't condemn her or them for wanting to be great. I think this is important for us to see. In fact, nowhere in Scripture does the Lord ever condemn His people for wanting to be great. And I would propose to you, He wants us to be great. But it's great on His terms, because there's a difference. 
When you get in the text, you'll notice that in verse 25, Jesus is going to call all the disciples to himself. What's the first thing that happens when somebody tries to put themselves over somebody else? Everybody's going to get mad. Everybody's going to get upset. And don't think that it was by chance that the word indignant is actually used here in the text. They got angry. But Jesus says, I want you to consider the word great. You have greatness in the eyes of men, those who are Gentile leadership, and he's not just simply harping on Gentiles, he's talking about worldly people. And then there's God's definition of great. You see, great people in the world who have that Gentile mentality, that worldly thinking, four things are very important to them. Power, fame, money, and influence. That's what you need to be great. If you want to be great, you become somebody who has money. If you want to be great, you become somebody who has great clouts. If you want to be great, you become somebody who has great influence. If you want to be great, you become somebody who everybody else looks up to. That's great. And that's the way our world sees it. There's a great man who is causing a lot of destruction right now via war in Ukraine. Money, power, influence, and fame. He's got it all. He ain't great to me. He ain't great to me. So the Lord says, I want you to be great. But let me define greatness to you. Let me tell you what's great. He says it's serving, ministry. That's great. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand as we get into this. That doesn't mean that somebody who may have popularity or have fame or even have influence is automatically out. Because Moses certainly had fame, right? Moses certainly had influence, right? But he also had great humility. And so here's what the Lord says as he defines greatness. Verse 26, it shall not be among you. Whatever the world is thinking and defining as great, that's not your definition. But whoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Word minister, we looked at this last week, if you remember. Word minister is actually the same word for servant. It's the same word for deacon. Deacons. It means a servant. And so what the Lord is actually saying is, if you want to be great, then you become a servant to others. Now, even servitude really needs to be defined, doesn't it? <laughs> we, we have a lot of people in our society today who consider themselves to be public servants. All right? Public, it's, it's, that's, to me, that's like an oxymoron. A public servant. They have great clout, great ability. They do great things. They have great influence. But I don't know if it's exactly the same servitude that our Lord defines. Because here's what you find with Christ's ministers or servants. 
They don't lord it over. Notice Jesus says that here. They don't exercise authority. In fact, they're not forcing their will. They don't have to rally a cause. They don't have to demand. They're not trying to make others submit. No, if anything, it's quite the opposite. They submit to others. And so filled with humility and compassion, they become individuals who do all they can to aid, comfort, guide, love, serve someone else. There are also ones who will do it often in secret. I want you to hold your place here and I want you to go over to Matthew chapter 6. Let's go to the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6 and in verse 1, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, this definition of ministry is also almost quiet. Not that it isn't causing a ripple, not that it isn't changing lives, not that it isn't out there and where it can be seen, but yet it does it in a way that it does it in no way to garner attention to itself. It's not looking for praise. It's not looking for accolades. It's not looking for votes. It's not looking for attention. I love the phrase, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Anybody else looked at that and gone, what in the world? Have you ever not known what your right hand was doing? And did your left hand not know about it? Uh, You're in the dark on this one. I'm going to leave you right here. Me and the right hand guy are going. And it's like, what? You know what I think our Lord actually means? You're so busy about service that first of all, you can't even remember all the times you served because you're not keeping a record. And secondly, you're so busy about service, you aren't thinking about, did you get a thank you card or an accolade or a pat on the back? In fact, you're so busy about service. All the other desires of greatness have just left your mind because you're focused on the task at hand. You're lost in it. You're lost in it. I tell you, one of the greatest blessings you can receive as a servant is when somebody comes up to you and says, thank you, and you go, I did what? Okay, you liked it? Oh yeah, okay, yeah, can't remember. You gave when? 
I did. I can't remember. Because it's become such a part of your life. It's ingrained in who you are. And you don't do it for no other reason than to help somebody else because that's your focus. The greatest example of it certainly is our Lord Jesus. And if you go back to our text, notice where Jesus takes us. He says, whoever to be chief among you, this is verses 27 and 28, whoever be chief among you, let him be your servant. For even as the Son of Man has come, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even God himself, when he came down upon the earth and walked in human form, didn't come to be served, but came to serve. Uh, let's go back in the text. Let me show some things to you to help you kind of see and grasp this. The first is, let's go back to James, John, and Salome. I, I've, I've identified uh, James and John's mother as Salome. I believe that's who this is. Uh, if you were to go over to the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 16, you would find that Salome... And this is more than likely Salome, who is the one who is speaking to Jesus here, is actually the sister of Mary. So, James and John are more than likely the cousins of Jesus. That's who it is. So, so they've kind of got an inside track. You know what I'm saying? Not only are we disciples who are with the Lord, we're family. And you know how it works with family? We're family. We're family. So I'm going to imagine that Salome has had a great relationship with Jesus over the years. He's been in sleepovers at the house. They've been a part of the gatherings together. They know who he is. And so you kind of see Salome going, uh, Jesus. So you have that kind of a relationship there. You'll notice, though, that when she comes to Jesus, even though they're family, she bows to him. Now, that's also kind of interesting, <laughs> Who do you bow before? Will you bow before dignitaries or if you're trying to honor somebody in that kind of way? Hey, I really want something out of you. Let me bow to you. I mean, Jesus never asked for people to bow to him. He wasn't that kind of Lord overing people. Kiss my ring kind of guy. He knew it was coming though. And he says to her and them, there's a baptism coming. There's a cup coming. Are you sure you want to drink it? Notice they immediately said, oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're always very hard on Peter, aren't we? I'll die for you. James and John said it too. And they also ran. John would come back to the cross, as we know. But notice Jesus says to them, yeah, you will drink it. When you get over to the book of Acts, what happened to James? Remember what happened to James? He did drink it. He's the first apostle to be martyred for the sake of Christ. And while John would never die as a martyr, in my opinion, 
His cup was even worse. He lived a very, very, very long life. And he dealt with it for a long time before he would die in isolation. What you see is they did drink of that cup. And what we need to grasp and understand here, for those that desire to be great, especially those that desire to be great under the Lord's definition, those that desire to be great in the kingdom, that sacrificial spirit is what the Lord is asking of us. That's a high demand. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the Lord is looking for you to give your life. They may not be what is asked of you, but I pray, Lord willing, if it is, you have the faith of James and Stephen and the others. But maybe he's asking for you to have the faith in the life of the Apostle John. That you don't grow weary in well-doing, but continue to serve. Paul will say it like this in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And isn't it interesting later that John will say it like this when he really describes the world's definition of greatness. John will say, what is the challenge of this life? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. They're not of the Father, but of the world. And that's not what I want in my service. So servants don't think highly of themselves. Servants don't fight to have a superiority over others. Servants don't fight for attention. Servants run from praise and accolades. I had a preacher once explain it to me like this and it stuck with me. You know one of the worst things about being a preacher is? After you preach a sermon, people tell you how great you are or how great the sermon was. And it's sweet and it's nice. Clearly, you haven't heard a lot of preaching if you're saying that about mine. But you just got your reward. You got it. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew? You just got it. Not that that's bad or wrong. But you got your reward. It's done. The things you do that nobody knows, the things that take a lot of effort that nobody truly understands, the things you do that go unnoticed, those are the things the Lord rewards. So can I give you, don't rob me of rewards. I hope you understand what I'm saying. The point is this. A servant doesn't serve because of the way the world defines greatness. Servants give of themselves because they know in giving of themselves, they're giving to the Lord. You'll notice that when you get to verse 23, Jesus says, it's for those whom it has been prepared by my Father. What does he mean by that? They, they want to sit on the right. They want to sit on the left. Jesus says, okay, you're going to drink this cup, but when it comes to a place to sit, I can't give you that. I want you to know and understand that even the Lord himself did not give himself a place. 
He didn't do it. He never gave himself a place that was given to him by the Father. He did not establish his own will. He came to fulfill the will of his Father. He himself was an obedient servant. He relinquished his own will every day that he lived. Why don't you sit there and try to chew on that for a moment? You have all the power of God. You have all the will of God. You have all the knowledge of God. But you do not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But as Paul will say in Philippians 2, he made himself a servant. Not just any servant, but an obedient servant who was obedient not with just any obedience, but was obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And then, what does Paul tell us? And so God has exalted him and given him the name that was above, which is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every tongue confesses and every knee bows. Jesus is saying to James and John and to their mom, only the Lord exalts. We're reminded of the words of James and also what we see in the words of Peter. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and what? He will lift you up. You see, a servant's exaltation comes from the Lord. Comes from the Lord. It's a different kind of great. William Shakespeare had this quote. Some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. Unquote. You ever heard that? I get what he's saying, but that's not the Lord's definition. You're not born great. You're not necessarily going to achieve greatness. And it ain't going to be thrust upon you. It's going to be because you gave yourself to the service of the Lord. Here's the way the Lord defines great. I just went through real quick. I want to show this to you. Of how many times the Lord uses the word great in his ministry. And notice how he uses it. First of all, in Matthew 15, 28, there's that that woman. The woman who, you remember in the story, she kept bugging him and bugging him and bugging him. And the disciples are trying to get her out of there, get her out of there. And Jesus came up with that incredible lesson about The dogs don't give crumbs. He calls her a dog. Oh, my word. I'm not going to get into all that. But she remains persistent. And that's what the Lord was looking for. Oh, woman, great is your faith. You don't quit. You just don't quit. That's great. As we see here in Matthew 20, who's the great? He's your servant. What did Jesus say about greatness with the commands? What's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. What's the second greatest command? Love your neighbor as yourself. In Luke 6, you also find this in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes. Those that are persecuted for the cause of Christ, their reward is what? That's great. Great reward. Love your enemies, says Jesus. Lend to those 
who expect, uh, who, who, who seek you and expect nothing in return. Why? For great is your reward. And again, in Luke 9, 48, whoever is the least among you all, this is the one that is great. And then Paul will say it like this, godliness with contentment is great gain. That's great. That's great. And in the prayer of a righteous person, Because it has great power and it's working. I had somebody reach out to me this past week, said, Hey, uh, my bank has changed over and I can't go back in my uh, account and see my donations to church this year. And, and I, I just need to get a record of that. Can, can you help me out? Can you? You know, reach out to the treasurer, somebody, so I, I can I can get that. I, I just try and turn that in on my taxes. I say, sure, no problem. And then and then I get this reply text. It goes, it, it's really not that much. First of all, I have no idea what anybody gives. I couldn't help but think of a widow who gave two mites that she probably didn't think worth that much. To the Lord, it was special, wasn't it? It was great. It was great. Don't let the world define greatness. Listen to what Jesus says. Every meal you share, every hand you shake, every deed you do, every lesson you teach, Every hug you give, every life you touch in the service of the Lord. It's great. It's great. I had the privilege this past quarter of not having to teach on Wednesday night. That was great to me. But no. But I got to hang out in some of the little kids' classes. And to hear your children recite the books of the Bible, share lessons from God's Word, I couldn't help but think we have a lot of great kids here with a lot of great parents doing great things for the Lord. And in God's eyes, it's great. It's great. If you've been reading word points lately, you probably have seen some of the things that Gary Henry has written. I found this very insightful, and I'm going to close with this. He says, in this world, quote, the only easy path is the course of least resistance. It's the path always taken by a stream of water as it seeks lower and lower ground. It will never go over an obstacle and it will even go around one and the water will always find the easiest way around. It finds the easiest work possible. This, you have noticed, is what makes rivers crooked. But it's also what makes men and women crooked too. The easy path never goes anywhere but downward. And spiritually, that's not the direction we want to go. 
Worthwhile destinations always take effort. That's a great quote. That's why Paul will say, don't grow weary in well-doing. Because what you're doing is great. Don't let the cares of the world wait upon you and man's expectations and man's definitions because what you're doing is great. Because the Lord and the Lord alone is the only one worthy enough to define greatness. I'm not here to argue that if you can throw a good punch in the ring or you can throw a football that you're not pretty impressive. And I'm not gonna argue if somebody wants to refer to you as great. That's fine. But Jesus says, let me tell you what's great. And great is servitude. It means you serve when it's uncomfortable. It means you seek peace instead of your own ambitions or opinions. It means you make sacrifices. Because as Jackson told his father, what's truly important to the servant is not things or possessions or accolades or trophies. No, what's really important to the servant is people. And that's the greatest possession you'll ever have. Invest in a heart. You're investing in eternity. It's the role of a servant. Let's wrap this up with the invitation. Because I think what you find when you look back in our text that we're studying, you find a very powerful invitation here, do you not? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What we have in our Lord Jesus this morning is we have a great servant who came to give of himself for us. He didn't just give money. He didn't just give a position. He didn't just give time. He gave of himself that he could be the ransom to buy us back, to reclaim us from the enemy. And if you want to look at a great way to serve this morning, you come give your heart to Jesus. Allow him to wash you through the waters of baptism, through his blood, that you can now put on Christ. Not just a clean spiritual robe, but you put on his heart for servitude. And if that's something you want to do this morning, I'd love to see that. And I'd love for you to do that right now. To come to Jesus and experience what greatness truly is. To have your sins washed away in the blood of the Lamb. Now that's great. If we can help you do that this morning, won't you come while we stand and sing? The Lord is in His holy temple. Again, thanks for listening. If you live in North Central Florida or you're just passing through, we would love to have you visit us at the Glen Springs Road Church of Christ. Also, check out our website, glenspringschurch.com. You can learn more about our church family and how to contact us. Until next time, God bless. Keep silence, peace.